Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to the limit, and I'm so glad to have you here following along. This episode is a mashup of all the times I've talked to podcast guests about the master systems integrator role. The concept of the MSI is an ongoing, evolving conversation, and I just wanted to review for myself what I've learned so far so I can figure out what questions to ask next. It's also partly a response to a recent four-hour session for MSIs at the Realcom IBCon conference that I just returned from. I felt like a lot of the discussion you're about to hear here was missing from that entire four-hour session. And a lot of the non-MSI, non-controls contractor folks that needed to be there to hear the message weren't there. In fact, all the real estate CIOs were in a different room in a parallel session from them. So this is my attempt to elevate some of the voices that have told this story the right way and hopes that more people hear this message. Let's start this off by defining the MSI with my friend, Mike Bruman, CEO of Vanti out of the UK. So you guys at Vanti are a master systems integrator. I think this is a very perhaps misunderstood term in our marketplace. It's used worldwide. It's used in the US. I want to talk about like, what is the actual definition of a master systems integrator to, to you guys? Okay. So a couple of bits on this, and I have sat on stages at things like Integrated Systems Europe and the Smart Building Conference. I think it's really important to get out. This is a self-proclaimed master systems integrator, right? So there's no, we haven't been accredited. There's no course that we've been on. The proof is in the pudding, right? So we can take you to a bunch of sites. We can show you the integration work. We can you know, introduce you to our software developers and, and the rest of the team that bring all this together. Uh, and I think it's really important we acknowledge that. But I also think the master part gets misunderstood as well in terms of, in fact, the best example I have of this is a big four controls company that shall remain nameless that we ended up in a bit of a competitive situation with. And the conversation turned to them becoming the master systems integrator. Mm. And the conversation then also went along the lines of, then we need to work out who the slaves are. Now, that isn't the way that we look at master in master systems integration at all. Uh, so for us, it is very much around kind of master craftspeople in terms of people okay. who have got really good at their trade and really good at their craft. And actually, it's an acknowledgement that they have a breadth and depth of experience that is applicable to a certain situation. Got it. So um, to clear up that misconception right away. Well, with the amount we're trying to kind of work out master from things like, you know, code repositories and all that kind of stuff because of all of recent events. Yeah, I think important that we, we do get away from that as quickly as we possibly can. And also very open to any other labels that we could use to, to label ourselves. But I did find uh, a definition because uh, I saw this came up on LinkedIn and um, Navigant put this out two years ago. And I, I think it is still fully applicable. So they define it as a service provider that demonstrates domain experience in IT systems and networking, building automation and controls, application software analytics, and support services. And then they go on to say, an MSI can create and program cross-system integration with complete interoperability. 
And that is what we do. So we are frequently described in our projects as the glue that binds everything together. The recent large fit out that we did for a client in London, we had some absolutely amazing feedback from them to the extent that they were just like, we don't think we could have done this project without you. You literally went around and worked with every single one of our subcontractors to help them understand what you needed to get from the technology. And then you pulled it out of the bag and made it all work together. And so I think that for me all stands. It, it makes an awful lot of sense. But I think it's not just the technical element of MSI that's important. It is also the people element. Hmm. And I think we spend a good amount of our time, certainly early on in projects, really trying to work out where people are at on the, the technical understanding side of things hmm. and then really supporting them if we need to in terms of, you know, whether it's getting devices onto the network, helping them understand subnet masks, helping them understand what a router is, understanding why they should change their default passwords, you know, all of those kind of things. And then if they've got all of that stuff in the bag, it's then potentially into, you know, why we need naming schemas within those systems, because actually it allows us to report the data better. And I think a lot of our building user experience work, we also use with other subcontractors to really um, bring the experience to life. So, you know, Sometimes if you're a system provider like access control, you might not be thinking you are this integral part of the overall building experience and what that journey is from sidewalk up to, up to your desk. Mm-hmm. But actually, you are the first touch point that most people will experience in a commercial building. Right. You're you the first to, Yeah, exactly. And if that doesn't work properly or it's unreliable or whatever, then actually you're almost on a bit of a downer before you've even reached the lift. So I think there's a lot around being really integral with people. There's a lot around difficult conversations, for sure. There's also a huge amount around learning. And I think that's, it's one of the things that we always look for in our hires is anyone who turns up to Vanity and says they've got some kind of home lab, they're basically through the door straight away because we know that they're playing with technology in, in their own time and, and they do have that kind of learning attitude we tend to shy away from heavily kind of certified people. Mm. So yeah, we're, we're looking for people with kind of grit and determination that, you know, if they get a big hairy problem, they're going to go at it and keep going at it until they either resolve it or they can come up with some way of, of working around it. And because of the breadth of technology that we experience, that's also super important. Like we often talk about people needing to learn in minutes and hours, not days and weeks. Because it can be that we're in the middle of a job and and suddenly the client will announce that they've bought some IoT solution that suddenly we need to work our magic to bring into the overall journey Mm -hmm. or experience. And and then it's about, you know, into data sheets, contacting vendors, trying to understand how we can integrate with them and that kind of stuff. And you can't do that if you're not willing to almost roll with kind of what's going on a little bit. And I think that's why there are large systems integrators out there, but they tend to be quite specialized. And I think that's the the kind of tipping point really is it's that agility and ability to to move with things and bring in what's new, not rely on heavy process, strict ways of working and only doing stuff in a way that we've done it before. Because that that just well, if you know construction, if you're in a construction program, the deadline never moves. So it's about how do we make it work within the time we have left. 
Okay, James here again. Next, we have another friend of mine, Brian Turner, CEO of Buildings IoT, on what an MSI is and when they should get brought in to the process. How do you guys define and describe what an MSI is? So an MSI is a little bit consultant, a little bit project management, quite a bit of project management, a trainer, an educator, and then ultimately an integrator, and then a service provider. So the, the thing about an MSI and what they're delivering is, is really uh, a cloud-enabled building operations platform at the end of the day. And that means that they're going to be with you as a partner for a long time. You know, think about uh, when you buy enterprise software like an Oracle or an NetSuite or something, you're not buying that for one year and then bidding it out again next year, right? You're selecting a technology as something that you're going to use as part of your business, as a partner in your business for, you know, five years minimum. I mean, realistically, it might be 10 or 15. And that's really how people need to be looking at MSIs. This isn't something that you're bidding out year after year, although that's what's been happening. And you can imagine the, the amount of inconsistency and deliverable that building owners get or building operators get when they take that approach. Right. And that's natural for that approach to happen because so many MSIs came up from a controls contracting world. Right. And those people were bid out every single time. Right. All I have to do is say you have to be Niagara. All I have to do is say you have to be Allerton or ALC or Honeywell or fill in the blank. I'll get competitive bidding. Everybody will be great and, and we'll be good. And then you get inconsistent delivery. You know, kind of the, you think logically that model didn't work in controls for getting consistency. Right. Certainly isn't going to work in master system integration. And so now here's the, here's the problem, the fundamental problem. So many MSIs came up through controls contracting or lighting integration or somewhere, right? And with one of the building systems and they struggle to give up that revenue. Because an MSI scope for an 800,000 square foot building might be 700,000, might be 800,000, but the scope for the controls contractor might be two and a half million. Right. Right. And, and the scope for the controls contractor has a lot of labor, subcontractors, a lot of material, a lot of commissioning, a lot of programming, and they've built their whole environment to support that kind of revenue model. Yeah. And then an MSI comes in and it's a lot of just intelligent labor, a lot of smart people, yeah. a little bit of material, maybe on the networking side, you know, maybe you've got some, some firewalls, maybe you're part of the, depending on the building layout, you might be the, the technology vendor also. But at the end of the day, you shouldn't be responsible for the controls or lighting controls or the elevators or any of that, because those all are systems in and of themselves and need focus. And the MSI you have to be aware and knowledgeable at least a little bit of all of those systems that you're integrating mm -hmm. in order to really understand the use cases and the outcomes. And that should be your whole focus on the project. Um, so often, you know, if you think about a controls contractor that is an MSI also, they, they come in and uh, they've got, you know, five chillers, you know, five towers, 57 pumps, and that plant has huge amounts of complexity and that they're sitting here trying to interact with, you know, the elevator system that's got a little bit of problem. And now that best technician has to go run over because the chiller plant just shut down and they don't know why. And now they've got to unscramble tons of code to figure it out. And, and so many MSIs, their best integrators, also their best controls technician. 
And then that best controls technician might also get called to another project. And so you just end up with these real conflicts of interest in so much of the MSI. So really a real MSI is somebody who is hired specifically to be an MSI and not hired specifically to do any of those other things. And it, it doesn't mean they couldn't have that expertise in house. I have several clients that we don't do any controls for, even though I have controls expertise in house, but I just am their MSI. And I work with what used to be my competitor. I mean, you brought this up a little earlier, right? That, that we're an industry that culturally has hated our competitors for yeah. years, yeah. right? You don't ever want to talk to them. You don't want to share ideas. You don't want to do anything. You avoid them at conferences. If they walk into the, to the bar that you're sitting at, you know, you make sure that they're not sitting at the table next to you because they might overhear some competitive exactly. you know, advantage yeah. you have. And that's all really BS. You know, if anything, the tech industry has shown us that you can be very good friends. And, and in fact, you might be working for that one, you know, in two months or three months. Right. And so the sharing of knowledge, and I'm not saying that everything should be shared. There's certainly some competitive things that we try to keep in-house. But for the most part, what we're talking about today, there's nothing new. Right. As you said, there, you've had 29 episodes covering many of these things, many of the ideas that I've talked about. I'm just supporting what other people have already said on the show. So it's, it's once we can get past that and that we're not the smartest people in the room, I think we'll really be able to understand what MSI is. And MSIs work with other partners. So I'm teaching, for example, Johnson Controls Branch how to be a good citizen on a system that's part of an MSI smart building platform, right? I'm teaching them how to write your programs, how to model your data, how to prepare your system to be part of something bigger, right? right? That's something new for them. Every other job they've done before, they've been the master of their domain. They didn't have to worry about anybody else. They didn't have to worry about designing their architecture to support uh, passing data, moving data upstream. They just didn't care. So that's why I say it's part educator when you're an MSI. You're spending time with people that used to be your competitors and you're teaching them how to be a good contractor on that job, how to make the most money on that job, how to limit the callbacks and the rework effort that they might have to do. So, you know, so now it begs the question, when's an MSI come on? As soon as possible. So, we, you know, we work a lot with the smart building consultants out there. Um, and some of those consultants are becoming MSIs, which is, is kind of weird. And so it's forcing some MSIs to start consulting, even though I have no idea how to make money as a consultant. So the thing is, if, it, if a consultant works for a year or two with an owner and developing concepts, use cases, et cetera, the MSI needs to be brought in basically on groundbreaking so that they can start putting a reality check to those use cases and technologies and help them understand what they actually need to install in the building to get these outcomes. Because uh, a lot of times the consultant will, will work with them and they'll come up with theoretical outcomes that should be available. They don't necessarily know exactly how to make that happen, mm -hmm. but the MSI does have that. So, so there needs to be a good handoff from that. And then other consultants I've seen in some parts of the world actually stay with the job till the end, which I think is also smart because if the consultant came up with a theoretical idea that they thought would be available in three years when the building comes to life, but as they're working with the MSI, they find out that, hey, the technology that's available is either A, too expensive, B, too experimental, 
or C, just not available, they can reframe that for the owner, right? Because they're the ones who worked with the owner to create that. And too often the MSI is left holding the bag. Mm -hmm. Well, XYZ Consulting said this could be done and we're going, but it really can't. If you look at the way, what we'd have to do to make that happen is just too expensive and way too expensive to maintain. Okay. Like, why do I want to build Frankenstein? If I wait two more years, I can put it in elegantly and add it to your platform versus bolting something in right now that you won't want to support over time. And, and that ultimately you'll consider a failure. So, so the consultants and the MSIs have to be hand in hand throughout that process. All right, back to James again. Next, we have Rob Huntington from Down Under echoing some of those same points on whether the BMS contractors should be transitioning into this new role and when they should get involved in the project. It's the strategy of getting someone that knows about all the technologies involved way earlier than they're currently getting involved in a lot of projects. And that's been you know, recently called the role of the MSI, right? The master systems integrator. So let's, before we move on from the the doom, the, the code accusation or the blockbusterization of the BMS contractor, I, I think what you're probably not about to say is that the BMS contractor should be playing that role that we're about to talk about. <laughs> that was a leading question. I should have asked that in a more open-ended <laughs> way. This is like going to be clickbait. So much controversy in one podcast. Um, <laughs> look, they can be. They've got the skill set, right? Like, yeah, they previously were the, the smartest guy in the building and it's not a big leap for them to yeah. just forget the way in which things have been done in the past and adapt. So those that adapt and recognize what's coming will continue to live on. And those who want to keep their blockbuster stores open with videos on the shelves, they're not going to be here in, in a few years time. So they've got the ability to yeah pivot, I guess, and move into this space. And again, the IT is a classic example, like with the, that digital transformation, everything moving to the cloud, like what did IT providers used to do that whose businesses were built on putting little data centers in closets, customers' and offices and mm-hmm. closet. Yeah. So they had to move away from selling hardware and servers to manage services or, adapt to the change basically. So can they be? Yes. Should MSI be part of the BMS specification, let's say, or it it be contracted in that way or in that siloed approach? That's the, the part I don't agree with, I guess. It really has to be an overarching set of principles for the whole project that that flow across or join together all the different silos instead of it being a silo in itself. You see it happen with the BSNs and you see it happen with integration. It it sometimes just falls in the bucket of the BMS contractor because that's sort of Mm -hmm. where it fits best. But I mean, that goes back to this whole challenge of the design of the building still being in silos. So how do you break that cycle and have the master system integrator actually across the top influencing everybody or bringing the silos together instead of yeah. creating another a new silo, you're just creating another silo basically by contracting the integration or the network as a as a vertical. Yeah, and this is going to build on some of the themes that we talked about. I talked about with Brian Turner and Mike Bruman, different episodes where we talked about the MSI role. But I think what you're describing, like we can improve upon the design phase, 
But I think what, what I'm hearing also is that you're talking about the MSI sort of being involved or an MSI-like role, being involved even before the design phase, which correct me if I'm wrong, but this is where the systems start to get like architected out before you get into the nitty gritty design. Is, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's, that's where personally I've seen the most success. So there's one model where your entry point is at the bottom you're the bottom of the food chain. You are subcontracting to like an electrical contractor who's contracting to the builder. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult to influence or guide all the parties on the site when you're that bottom feeder, basically. You're just a subcontractor. Don't tell me how to design my IP scheme or deploy my server, whatever. When you come in at the top, where you're talking to the building owner and you have mapped out those journeys and like there's a clear outcome in mind when we're talking about these technology choices a lot easier to influence when you've got the building owner in complete alignment mm -hmm. the message is clear everybody knows why and that's probably the bit that's missing i guess when we talk about some of these converged networks or integration platforms like why are we doing this like why do i have to connect to this converged network and sometimes that is probably not easy to answer if that is clearly understood from the outset I think it makes it a little bit easier for everybody to swallow to know why are we doing this? Why are we changing the way that things are done? So is this almost like a different role, master systems architect versus master systems integrator? Or is it the same uh, role? I, I think it's similar. I think it's the timing that's different. The architecture piece would sort of indicate that it happens, like you said, mm -hmm. early on in the piece. Yeah. And you are yeah, putting together an architecture, I guess, that will flow down into the consultants, down into the trades. Integration, I guess, by name would indicate you're having to pull different things together after the fact. So for me, it's just a matter of timing. The role's similar, but doing it smart from the start um, and having a building operating system specified in would almost, you'd, you'd think the integration piece isn't actually required. It's, it's already together from the beginning. So totally. you're not having to communicate to different systems, different protocols. They're all natively being able to talk to one another without yeah. the need for integration. Okay, James here again. Next, we bring back in Mike and Rob and add in DLR Group's Rory Barnwell on how to sort out the roles between consulting engineer, commissioning agent, other contractors, and MSIs. So the example I always use around this is lighting. Okay, so as an MSI, we are not going to design you amazing looking lighting scenes. We are mm. not going to get into, you know, what color temperatures should go in, in which spaces and all this kind of thing. Because I think we have to acknowledge that whilst it would be wonderful to know everything and be able to do absolutely everything, I think the thing that we acknowledge is kind of what's the boundary. And mm. the boundary for us is around that integration, the data and control it isn't about replacing the specialism. Hmm. And, and that specialism is also critical, right? Because there's you know, access control cards, there's a hundred different varieties and you know, getting the compatibility right and all that kind of stuff. And we can research that and doing that within a project, like, yeah, sure. But does that make us an access control specialist? Like, absolutely not. Totally. And so I think it's about appreciating as, as well as all those different lenses that we talk about kind of on, on that building, it's also moving to a position of actually collaborating between all of these different people. And I think we're going to see lots more uh, kind of cooperation 
if that makes sense. Like, you know, there are some jobs where we may compete against people that actually on another job will be working alongside or, or delivering something. And, and I think that's where, again, from a, a philosophical perspective, we don't believe that one vendor should do it all. And I think we see single vendors trying to do absolutely everything and claim they do everything. But also, I think from my own experience, you know, even back in Oracle days, Oracle went on a mad spending spree to buy all these different companies like, you know, PeopleSoft and all that kind of stuff. And it took them years to properly integrate that into the rest of their solution so that it actually became Oracle HR. And I'm, I'm still not sure they've even achieved it, to be honest. But um, I think that's where in buildings and because of construction and the way that that works and the size and scale of things, you know, yeah, you could get to a stage and we've talked about it. You know, we've talked about the potential that in years to come, you will get something called like a main technology contractor. Uh, and actually it would be someone going, right, technology, absolute pain, just take the whole lot away from me. But kind of having looked at that, we were then like, well, you know, it's almost like how far down the rabbit hole do you go? Mm. Because, you know, once you start getting into colour temperatures and whether it's, you know, Des Fire version 2 or MyFair or, you know, whether you want to have people visible at 10 feet or 100 feet on CCTV, that is a specialism. Those skills are required. Mm-hmm. It's just those people don't need to bring network switches and servers and you know how do we kind of address those those boundaries which will be gray which will be blurry and you know even between projects it might be well we integrate all the way down because of a particular use case in one project but actually it's pretty light touch in another Hmm. and so i think there is a um, there's always a drive towards kind of simplicity and you know one back to pat, one throat to choke, like however you want to describe it. Uh, And there is also that kind of real desire within construction that everything is delineated into like these boxed contracts that, you know, you can point at someone and be like, it's their fault. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together. And they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexuslabs.online. All right, back to the interview. So I think what I'm hearing is that like the MSI, it's not a tell me what to do, tell me what my scope of work is, tell me where to go, what to be. It's more of a, a leader, like you're pulling people together, pulling people along. It's a leadership role. You're in a consultation, basically. You're, you're a consultant yeah. in a way. And so Ooh, is that how you describe it? It's like a consultancy. And are you a contractor or are you just a con? Like, talk to me about like business models okay. here. Yeah, so people get really upset when we call ourselves consultants, okay. um, which, Uh, I think, you know, it's fair. I think the other thing is we've been really open to working with consultants and and we do. And in fact, actually, even today, um, huge global consultancy has approached us for a 1.8 million square foot building that is putting out a master systems integrator spec. And they've approached us because they've gone, actually, we can fulfill 
all of the project management stuff, all of the really detailed stuff they want doing around BIM, all of the lead well and BRIAM certification stuff, we've got specialists on staff to do that. What we don't have is the ability to technically architect it and to do all that system validation and make stuff work together. And that is like the perfect engagement for us hmm, because okay. it allows us to bring our technical skill, which is what we're so short of in the industry, but means we're not trying to be, you know, consultants in how buildings go together and all the standards and how they work and everything else. And I mean, we've had some pretty direct exchanges with consultants who have come to us and said, you know, if we ever find out you're doing consultancy, you'll never appear on our tender lists again for being an integrator on our projects. Wow. And, you know, we're also not the people to be sat around writing, you know, I mean, some specs that come out are like, you know, reams of paper of just like pages and pages of these are the things that are going to happen. And it's not that we're not interested in that detail. It's important. It's just, it's not where we focused our, our kind of business. So we love performance specifications when they're written as performance specs. I think we genuinely really struggle when we get a very technically detailed spec through because the reaction is to then go, oh, okay, but you know, what about if we did this? And so it can become quite confrontational. Hmm. Whereas we've always said kind of doing all of the building user experience design, the, the user story mapping, the user journeys, all that kind of stuff. Like there are probably, there are digital agencies out there that are infinitely better than us at that. We could work with consultants and help them understand why we take that approach, mostly because it really engages stakeholders, particularly developers, tenants, whoever else. If they can really graphically see what they're going to get at the end, they really engage in it like, and they're like, oh, well, you know, could it do this or could we make this happen? And then, I mean, just like you're going through on the course, it's all about building that set of requirements and then fitting the technology to it. Not that we need to start with, you know, pages about it shall be MQTT and it shall be JSON and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. Because why? If that doesn't fit the use cases or it doesn't fit how the space is going to be used, like why are we being that prescriptive about it? So, yeah, we, we tread really carefully around consultancy. And I think the other thing is we're seeing this kind of emergence of master systems architect and master systems designer. I mean, in my opinion, they're just terms that aren't required. Like consultants need to skill up on this stuff and then they just need to keep doing what they're great at. I think there are some more tools they can put in their toolkit. I think we're open to helping people do that because... As far as we're concerned, the more people that can develop experiences and describe them to clients, well, actually they'll engage in them. And we've been on projects where you turn around to the client, you're like, so um, have you read the specification? And they're like, no. Why would I read a 200-page technical document? And, and then you're like, well, so do you know what you're getting? And they were like, oh, no, but you know, we, we just trust the consultants are going to give us what we need. And then you can get to the end of some projects and clients will stand there and be like, what on earth is this? This isn't what we talked about or what we asked for. And then you're in this really awkward position of, but it's what they told us to build. And so I, I think, again, this comes back to that kind of cooperation, the collaboration, like the, the lines are blurry. And I think particularly around where we pick up and consultants would stop. 
I mean, typically consultants are not interested being in a construction site, making tech work together. Like mm-hmm. I think they would, all of them would sit there and go, you know, not for us. Yeah. But I think the more overlap there is, the more powerful the end result can be because I mean, there's, there's so much context in design meetings and decisions that get taken and understanding that you just can't transfer even in a 200 page document like you'll never get that kind of yeah uh, stuff across to people so yeah it's it's blurry but we are 100% not being traditional consultants that is you're a consultative contractor and you come in after the design firm well, yep. you come in, you, you would love to overlap with the design firm before they're done producing this spec. Maybe you have some influence on it, but you're not trying to get into that role is what I'm, what I'm hearing. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great description and probably one I might start using. Um, can so steal but uh, yeah, I think we don't want to, we certainly don't want to eat their lunch, but it is about providing that technical specialism and also because this market is moving so quickly and we are really doing things that are different on the ground, we want to feed that back into that cycle as quickly as possible because, well, if we take it to a super macro level, the world is literally on fire and there are not enough people trying to make buildings more efficient right now. So either we all start working together or basically we're screwed. I'm picturing like the, the traditional construction process and we've, we've inserted someone up front We've inserted someone that, you know, at the end, like you said, is not one silo. They're kind of connecting all the silos, right? The part that I'm still fuzzy about though, is the design phase, like right, right in the middle here, you know, design firms, and we're going to have Rory from DLR in in a couple episodes, but design firms don't typically do very well at this stage. So do you see, I guess the first question is, are consultants going to start taking on some of this role and what do you think about that and then do, how, how do consultants play when they don't take on the role and someone else does oh man you, another <laughs> another controversial one i'm mindful of not pointing the finger at too many people but you're right like they design in silos so the classic example for me is hotel rooms so you can have one consulting firm doing the design for all the services and you have their electrical consultant or engineer, he designs this control solution for the lighting in the room. It's going to do all these funky things with seams and you walk in and lights come on, this sort of happens. Same thing happens with the air conditioning, but it's its own control system, occupancy sensor, you walk in and aircon comes on to a print. So you end up with like three or four different controllers in the room that are doing blinds, air conditioning, lighting, when one hotel room controller could do everything. Mm -hmm. But even and we've had some candid chats with consultants when we brought all their teams together and said why like do you guys all sit next to one another and do the designs for the building and not talk to each other about what you're doing and they all laughed and go yeah that that actually is what happens and i don't know i was i was joking but it it is what happens like they're, they're literally not consulting each other on how do we actually find efficiencies and hey what if we just put one room controller in so it goes back to not having that overarching guideline of or whether it's the consultants that do it or not yeah there has to be this this blueprint that is referred back to saying my yeah the the mapping of that 
hotel guesties, we want them to enter the room and we want the blinds to open. TV comes on and says, welcome, Mr. Dice, to your executive suite. And like all those things happen, that's in the blueprint. So then how do the consultants make that happen? So yeah, mm. how do we get... So it's someone, I don't really care who it is, but they, yeah, there has to be that overarching guideline that everybody else if, if we're going to continue to design these buildings in silos like we do there has to be this blueprint or guideline in place people can refer back to to make sure we can achieve yeah achieve outcomes what are the challenges in the the traditional design process and how can we kind of overcome those with how technology is changing today i mean that's probably most of the issues that we have today in in in, in, in that side of the industry is we just copy and paste the last uh, yeah. points list and sequence and <laughs> boilerplates back into the next one. You know, as an industry collectively, that's been a been a criticism for the last couple of years. I would say we, there definitely are firms who, you know, all the ones I mentioned earlier and and many more who 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 get it and are kind of evolving more into that kind of smart building consulting role. And when I say smart building consulting, that's maybe to differentiate between because I, I feel like Brian Turner did a nice job differentiated between that smart building consultant and what an MSI does, because at the end of the day, you could kind of see both roles fairly similarly. But again, like I said earlier, I'd, I see the smart building consultant role kind of growing out of the commissioning practice and being that kind of owner's advocate and getting those outcomes embedded into the process early on and, and less focused on that prescriptive design path, more focused on the outcome and what's the agile way we're going to get there. Um, you know, it's, but yeah, maybe, I mean, I think honestly, from a design firm's perspective, I think just doing the simple things right and getting the controls installed per how they're supposed to be. And then after that, getting the controls installed, how they're supposed to be getting data flowing where it should be and letting the third party vendors and, and, mm -hmm. you know, everything else kind of fault detection, diagnostics, everything else, you know, that, that can come after once you got a well-organized foundation. So I think the, if, as an industry, we just focus on getting that foundation right and leaving it open for technologies that we haven't even considered yet or are still being built as we speak. So that's, I feel like, is the most important thing. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that owner's advocate, owner's rep commissioning role really suits itself really well for just kind of mm -hmm. expanding beyond just HVAC performance and, and controls into yeah. the, the broader technology. So, and again, you know, it's been brought up before, but just it's a fragmented industry and how it's funded, how it's you know, still very linear, you know, it hasn't changed that much since I got into it back in 2000. I mean, the tools are a little bit different, but it's still, we're producing construction documents to, you know, bid competitively, low bid wins and low bid gets in and gets out as quick as they can. And at the end of the project, everyone's mad and everyone's trying to, you know, that's just across the board. That part hasn't changed too much, you know, and yeah. clearly there's lots of exceptions to that. That's a generalization, but in general the margins are pretty tight so you don't have a whole lot of time at the end of the project which is the most important part to you know that that bridging that gap between construction and operations is still open and we'll see you know now there's lots of conversations again throwing in the digital twin into that which i feel like is, is different again but and i I've, i personally feel that the success for the whole digital twin concept moving forward will be doing those simple things right you know what well, it really is a digital twin at the end of the day it's the dream that we were sold 15 years ago by by Revit when we were transitioning. I'm old enough where we transitioned from 2D CAD to Revit. And that was a much bigger transition because back then we had to 
put in new server racks and upsize the pipe to you know to literally increase the bandwidth to deal with this new software mm -hmm. but we were sold yeah it's going to be able to design better you're going to have you know clash detection schedule time savings etc and also by the way it's going to be this facilities management operations tool and so it's great for the owner too and we we're like yeah. well, okay sounds good in theory and in 2004 you're like i guess you know but 2021 you're still like you still didn't do that you know so <laughs> so i feel like if we just focused on delivering an asset model that was properly populated with the right bits and again we've tried to do that for years as commissioning agents with a systems manual so that that just needs to be standardized it's deliverable of a spatially accurate proper asset registry into a model and i feel like that hopefully Going back to the card and stick, that's probably a stick that's needed. And then the card can be the live data and the analytics and everything else to build on top of that foundation. Totally. Two questions here. Mm -hmm. I'm to forget the second one. The first one is if, if like the smart building consultant kind of morphs out of this commissioning role, how do you see the MSI as being different? Well, again, I think the MSI's role kind of growing out of controls contractors generally here in the States. We're doing a lot of work in Europe now. And in Ireland specifically, uh, coincidentally, you kind of see it over there. Ireland and the UK is kind of growing out more of the IT side of things and maybe low voltage IT kind of side. So, yeah, I mean, I'd say the MSI role is traditionally contractors and smart building consultants are traditionally, you know, engineering consultants and traditional consultants. So that's roughly how I see it. It's not always the way. There's good unicorn hybrids in between there. Yeah. Second question. Mm -hmm. I've been talking about the independent data layer a lot. Where do you see that coming in in the context of this digital twin? And that kind of, where does that show up? Well, I think probably the, the issue now is just there's so many point solutions and so many siloed, you know, this someone's got a sensor for XYZ, whether it's air quality or people counting or acoustics or, or whatever. And just that I feel like clients are, our clients at least are, Kind of overwhelmed with how many different pilot projects of point solutions that they have and there's no real even air quality sensors right well we're going to try brand x and they've got a dashboard what about brand y they've got a dashboard they don't talk to each other i got one sensor that needs to go in it in an outdoor air duct and one sensor that needs to go on a wall and they're completely different and so just get grabbing that data and pushing it to a database that the owner owns or controls. And then, you know, the whole concept of a single pane of glass, but now the whole concept of what if we want to change out that single pane of glass? Yeah. What do you do then? And where, where does that leave your data infrastructure? So I think our more sophisticated clients right now are asking those questions and super focused on how we're acquiring that data, organizing it, pushing it up to their cloud and, and not so much super focused on the, the MSI cell for this single page. We still clearly need to bring that to one place to, to help the operations team. But then how, how does that back into an enterprise solution? How does that back into, that's a, how do you take it from a single bespoke customized solution for building A and back it into 70 other buildings or 90 other buildings that we, that we have across the portfolio? So everyone's got a, a superstar gem and, you know, jewel in the crown building, but then mm -hmm. How do you how do you back that into the rest of the buildings? So that's where most of the conversations are today, I'd say. Rob and Brian on the ongoing service role of the MSI and how it's heavily tied to a software platform, but there are actually two separate roles there. So talk to me about the service aspect of this. So 
I think one of the issues I see in MSIs is that our industry has a construction mindset. So we view buildings and smart buildings as a one-time event, right? Whereas really a smart building is an ongoing event. It's a way of life, essentially. And so when when people say MSI, you go from there to MSI to like a contractor. And when you're at a contract, you need to do a construction project, right? But so how do you guys approach the ongoing aspect of the MSI role? Yeah, so I'll pay homage back to my dad. I always say we were born from distribution. So we didn't have any concept of one time. Right. So for a distributor to be successful, I needed people to keep coming back to me. Mm. Right. I couldn't just sell one project to a contractor, and never see him again or else I was dead. Right. So I had to deliver that service over and over and over again. The other thing, and we've talked about this a little bit already, it's, it's this concept of um, I want to charge for something over and over and over again. So mm. I want to build that use case for for you. And then I want to sell it for the same price to the next guy and to the next guy and to the next guy. Mm -hmm. And when you look at what cloud services and as a service model has done, it's completely extrapolate that away. You know, you pay me a monthly fee or an annual fee and you get whatever I develop, whether I developed it for this client or that client, it now becomes available to you because you're paying a recurring fee. And now because I'm getting that recurring fee from a lot of people, I don't have to charge everybody the full price to create that solution. So creating the use case for one person might be too expensive for that one person to buy. But if you're creating the use case for 20 people, then everybody buys it, Mm. right? And the mentality of get in and get out, this is a construction process. Everybody's motivated and incentivized to make as much money on that one instance as possible. So that means I will do as little to get signed off as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, and whether people like that reality or want me to say it, you know, that's what keeps me popular in the media, I guess. But that's the reality, right? I, I get a job for a million dollars. I have a cost of $800,000. I want to try to make my cost seven fifty. dollars I want to make my cost seven twenty five dollars because the chances that I'm going to get to increase my top line are lower than the control I have of the bottom line. And so then we start seeing people under delivering and making you catch them. So this is why we have commissioning agents. So I don't want to deliver everything, make your commissioning agent catch me. And then because of the nature of construction, especially in the controls industry, controls typically isn't done until after the occupancy anyway. And so everybody's under the gun to just get done. And rarely do we have a hundred percent project. And then now, then they get into service. And if you're a big organization that has service contract, you love it, turn it over to service and spend the next five years, hopefully maybe bringing that building to to 100%. But the industry is broken. It's been broken in that way for a long, long time. And data is going to fix it because data doesn't lie. When the sensor is not moving, you know, it doesn't matter that it's physically there. It doesn't matter that it's physically wired. What matters is, that, is the data changing? Is it moving back? Is it getting there consistently? Is the refresh rate good? You know, all of those things are gonna now drive those underlying systems to be better. It's gonna drive those underlying contractors to be better. It's gonna drive the manufacturers of these controllers and these systems to be better. And so now we talk about service, it's no longer just about servicing the mechanical electrical equipment. It's now about servicing those integrated systems and making sure that if I need a refresh rate of 60 seconds in order to make my enterprise uh, control strategy work, then 
that refresh rate's key to now an integral piece of the system. So if that refresh rate starts to degrade, I need somebody who actually knows how to come fix that or knows how to find it and then work with a third party to actually go do the steps to fix it. Because the other thing is an MSI is not all things, right? That this is one mistake I think a lot of owners make is the MSI is like the all knowing everything. That's not the case. A good MSI is really good at that domain of data, really good at the domain of integration, really good at the modeling, really good at presenting and, and platform and understanding the security model and how to secure all of that aspect. But they're not necessarily experts in why the controller on the elevator is not operating. Right. You got to inform the elevator company like, hey, these are the things we're seeing. These are the symptoms we're finding. Can you figure out how to resolve it based on what I can give you? Right. Now, the more, the longer I interact with elevators, the more intelligent information I'll be able to give the elevator company to be more proactive or precise with their, with their troubleshooting. Um, like in mechanical, I feel we can be fairly precise mm-hmm. with the amount of knowledge we have about mechanical systems and what's going on from the data we get. But on an elevator, I, I'm less precise, right? right. But over Makes time, sense. as a good MSI, we'll get more and more precise in helping these service providers really impact the buildings. Um, and I think that's where, if, if you look at what's an MSI, an MSI is all of those things, but a key part is that service provider. If you're delivering a platform that's going to be there for a long time, you should also be expecting that you're going to be delivering a service to help them maintain that platform, understand the data that's coming out, add additional use cases, kind of cultivate that data set. Um, You've been in the industry for 10 plus years. The first data set that you came in and the amount of actionable information you were able to create from that is greater today than it was 10 years ago. And so if you can imagine that we're kind of at the, the infancy of really bringing all these data sets together and aligning them strategically within the building and the spaces they serve, the amount of information that we're going to be able to create from that over the next 10 years is, is unknown, right? And so if you think that you're going to do a construction project and just buy a smart building and set it and forget it, get through the warranty period and disappear as an operator that you won't need that MSI anymore. And as an MSI, you have the culture of, no, I'm moving on to what's next. I'm not going to take care of what I've done. It's going to fail. And it will just, the industry itself won't fail. But the sooner we can rationalize that, the faster it will grow. So part of this is like when we talked about that building operating system layer here, that software market is extremely diverse in the number of companies that are saying that they're doing that, right? That layer is really, really confusing. At the same time, the MSI needs to be able to understand that software well enough to where they can make it work, right? Because they're the ones that, is, that are integrating all the silos into it. So that makes me question how independent can an MSI be when they spend their time learning this layer of the marketplace and learning different tools that provide that building operating system layer. And I guess where I'm going with that is, is there a way for the MSI to be independent from that layer? I know what you're saying, because it's like, I guess there's two pieces to that MSI model. Mm -hmm. One, the end goal is this single pane of glass. And like you said, that piece is probably going to be difficult to have independence because you're going to go in with a preconceived idea of what 
you are going to deploy as your integration layer or yeah. building operating system, whatever it might be. Especially if you're coming from the contractor world, right? Where you're probably yeah. a distributor and something. Oh, totally. And like you see it already, like the, you've got, like even just this week, I've seen Carrier Abound, like they've got this new cloud-based platform that, they've, that they've announced. So everybody is going to have their version of a cloud-based integration platform and they're probably going to go in, like that's essentially what they're trying to sell. But for me, it's all of the other work, like that consulting work that you have to do to make sure everybody that sits underneath that platform can seamlessly integrate and communicate with the platform. So that knowledge and expertise is, I believe, more important than the platform itself. But again, it's, yeah, having independence as far as what that platform is, what product or software it is, that's probably... Yeah, you're right. It's, I guess if I were to like, we have a lot of building owners that listen to this, like you can, you can have a selection process for your software layer that's independent of the MSI's role, in my opinion. The yes. MSI can help educate you on that, but it doesn't need to be part of their contract and compensation. It can be, you, you can create independence from that software layer and basically come out with a process that picks the best software for you. Right, we don't have to have that sort of so integrated in with the construction players. And I think a lot of the bigger portfolios obviously understand that, and they're standardizing on different different software platforms that they will spec. So, and look, and maybe that's the difference between the master system architect and integrator. So, like naturally, we're talking about the MSI as doing the work. Mm-hmm. Like they are going to do the integration platform, whereas yeah, the architects like you said, they can perhaps be independent. If they're not the ones actually deploying the integration platform, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you've got complete independence because yeah. you can select the right solution for that particular job guided by the outcomes you're trying to achieve. So it's that's a slight difference, but I guess it's, it's going to come back to that question of, yeah, is it, is it a consulting role or is the intent that an MSA, MSI does stuff as well? Um, mm-hmm. Probably I'm going to make likely. it even more confusing for us because <laughs> I, I, I know for a fact, and I've talked to the, talked to specific MSIs that have a great software layer that they've developed, right? And I know it's good. And so at the same time, I'm like also talking to those owners, like if you have a great MSI and they're going to be the, installing their own product, that's probably a good fit too, right? Mm. You know, I'm thinking <laughs> of specific uh, vendors in mind, but like like I, I know that that's probably going to work out well as well. So it's like, yeah, there's always these nuances that make it so hard to wrap your, wrap your head around. There's no one way, right? No, oh no, it's so it's really challenging. But again, I think because like there's no clear definition. Whether it's everything we've talked about today, none of it's clearly defined. Yeah. Whether absolutely. it's the operating system, integration platform, MSI, MSA, like they're all these fluffy terms that. I don't think anyone's really nailed as far as really defining what they all mean. Part of what I try to do in the course is like call stuff by different acronyms that it might look like I made up, but I'm really trying to just like, <laughs> right, like draw buckets around stuff. But the number one thing I get when I when I sort of lay out the current construction process for, for my students is the number one question I get is like, okay, how do we change it, right? So do you have, <laughs> do you have, <laughs> how, how do we integrate the, what we're calling really, it's like a mindset of the MSI. We're not saying there's one answer here, but how do we get these concepts integrated into the construction process? Unfortunately, it almost always comes down to cost. 
Okay. And that's what I'm seeing so far. So this, this job I'm just about to kick off in Adelaide, whilst it is a really cool technical solution to a problem, it is a completely converged network. There is not another cable or piece of equipment going in other than the one that we're putting in. So it's doing wireless internet. It's a hotel. So we're doing wireless access points, internet, hotel, guest internet, front of house internet, like everything that can connect via IP is on one network. It's it's really it's a really exciting job. You're saying it comes down to cost, meaning that is cheaper than the alternative. Exactly. So okay. despite all the cool things we're doing in this building and all the the experiences we're going to create, it was all cost. We should have loaded with that. Well, <laughs> in a way it sucks, like that that's what the driver is. Yeah. But on the other hand, the reason why we could realize the cost savings for this client is because we drove it from the very, very, very beginning. And we didn't allow anybody in the value chain to price or design their element without taking into consideration this this single network that was going in. So all the duplications in hardware or network hardware have been avoided. The, the cabling was the biggest one. Like they wanted to run five or six cables to every single hotel room. We're running one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, we run one, pick up the WAP, the WAP has ports on board and you plug stuff into the WAP. So, and that was the bit that these owners really got a hold of. So they're saying, so it's a hundred room hotel, six cables per room, there was 600 cat six cables running. And he's like, that's like this many cables. Yeah. And I'm like, yes. I said, we're just going to run one fiber backbone and then one cable out to each room. And he's like, oh, so that's just like this. I'm like, yeah, he's like, <laughs> sold. No, none, none of the smart cybersecurity, like none of that ever came into it. It just so happens that doing it in this way and being smart from the start, you get cost savings. So I think being able to drive those savings, unfortunately, in the short term, that's how yeah, I've had success is it's, it's essentially come down to being a cost saving discussion. And finally, last but not least, we have Sabine Lamb of Google on the perspective of a progressive building owner and what they need out of the MSI as we move forward. So given the context of what you guys need in your building, what are you asking of service providers and contractors to help you get there? Right, right. So, you know, the, the MSI, and again, I won't pretend to know what MSI have been doing. I will just tell you what we want them to do. And so, you know, it's, I use the word evolving, but it is kind of definitely focused on the security and data-driven focus where we're trying to move away from OT protocols and, and replace it all with, you know, communicating with MQTT, UDMI. And so forget BACnet, forget BACnet SE. We need the MSIs to understand MQTT. We need them to understand how to register devices in cloud, how to verify that the data is communicating into cloud and, you know, that the, the, the data is available on the cloud. And so I kind of break it into three categories. There's a security aspect of it. They are, in our world, they are responsible for reviewing the drawings and ensuring that the technology selected is qualified or at least qualifiable and potentially even they are the one qualifying those devices. Hmm. And so they work very closely with our digital building consultant. The digital building consultant understand what we're trying to accomplish with this building and the use cases, and they kind of propose some solution. The MSI is the one who understand our standards really well hmm. and ensure that the solution has been selected can at least be qualified 
or they can qualify it, or we send it to a lab and we qualify it ourselves. But the, the result has to be that the solution is qualified. And then that solution is capable of sending data to, to cloud. On the data modeling side of it, they are the one that are creating our billing model config file. And so they are the one that take the information from either the BMS or others and creating a billing config file. In, it just happened to be in a YAML format in our world. So how you map this information to our digital billing ontology, put it in the proper format so we can ingest it into our data lake. And that's a role that is 100% MSI role, very, very manual today. And yeah. it has to change. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is not possible. You know, it's, it's a one-time potentially works, very error prone. And so the, I think that's the biggest gap. And, uh, and I think the, the industry realized that, that the, this data mapping and modeling is the biggest gap and, and, and the hardest thing to maintain during the whole life cycle of the building. Right now, we're throwing MSIs at it. And then I realized they have to stay once the building opens, yeah. the MSI almost needs to stay around, right? To update the information as we go. So, you know, model the building, validate the, the information is valid and match the as is, right? So the functional description is just aligned with the as built and, and trying to come up with methodology to, to ensure the quality of um, the solution and, and lasting set of information is accurate. And then the onboarding, that's the concept of this. So yeah, security data modeling and then onboarding is kind of registering the device to cloud. So being familiar with cloud, understanding how do you, you know, provision those systems uh, on our network, how you onboard those devices uh, onto the cloud platform, things like that is also kind of their role. And so you didn't hear me talk about the application itself. It's all about provide the data in a format that I can do something cool with it. But don't worry about the cool part. <laughs> Just do yeah. the first part with you around. Got it. You, you mentioned the, all the labor that goes into mapping points. So is that something that you guys are able to drive with these sort of manufacturer standards where we can start to have self-identifying, self-modeling type sort of interoperability, sort of machine-to-machine -machine interoperability? Is that kind of where you're headed as far as forcing standards? Or so the modeling it? itself, we're not discussing modeling with a manufacturer themselves. It's more once the device is in place. It's like a pet peeve of mine, uh, the industry. I feel like it's something when we talk about interoperability, we're not putting enough onus on the manufacturers themselves to basically say, you guys need to adopt the modeling standards and then basically self-describe your stuff, right? Um, right, right. So we're doing it in a way where we say, if your device is what we call smart ready, you know, you take the data and you send it to us in this UDMI format, universal device management interface, right? Which is not BACnet, but there's very few company or devices that are capable of doing, doing that. Right. And so to be honest right now is definitely on the MSI to do a lot of the work and it's and manual work of data mapping, yep. you know, here's what you get and here's how we want to call it and how we want to describe the type of device and that function of the device and how it's connected and what data points are for it. It's not totally. the manufacturer doing that for us. Yeah. And, and, and I think a lot of my frustration, it's like industry level, obviously, but I've also done a lot of that mapping myself. And so the frustration is like, I just don't want anyone else to do it anymore. Seriously. <laughs> like we shouldn't have to do this. And that's what I was telling you, you know, I think my background in digital signal processing, do you think when you have millions of transistors, do you think people manually do things? Like, no, you, you have an abstract level, things are automated. You don't have people 
typing hundreds of lines of codes, right? You just have a library, it fits in, it knows what it needs to do, and it's yeah. fully automated. And so I'm appalled when I when I see what's going on, I'm like, what? And is that acceptable? This is not acceptable. And and very quickly, it's just not scalable for Google. So I, it's not possible. Not only it's not acceptable, on top of that, I can't use it because our, our portfolio is global and it's 700 building and absolutely I cannot put enough people, you know, there's not enough people in the world to do it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not, but you know, I don't think everybody in the world wants to focus on manually creating this config file. Yeah, yeah, I get, I get emails daily about people hiring integration engineers. You know, I love the emails because I love to see that the companies in my, you know, the Nexus network are growing and that's amazing. It's just like, it's tough to know that that's the work that we're hiring for. And I know there are very few people out there that are looking for a job and able to do that work as well. Yeah. So it's just such a huge bottleneck. Um, and I think they're doing that because they're solving for one problem for one building and it's not reproducible, right? All right, James here again. That's a great spot to close things out. I'd love to hear from you now. Where should we take this MSI conversation next? What questions do you still have about this ongoing conversation? All right, friends, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day.